So I have a sharing for this week uh, that comes from two sources. One, uh, I'm doing the New York Zen Contemplative Care Program, and one of the main teachers is Koshin Paley Ellison, who just is a great storyteller, and I love stories. And he told a story last weekend uh, that has has stayed with me, um, giving me lots of room for contemplation. And then this past Sunday, I don't know how many of you know, but Charlotte Center for Mindfulness has about a year ago started a Mindful of Race program. And uh, everyone, we had an opening retreat and then we broke up into small racial affinity groups to, to kind of unpack, you know, what is it that we're carrying and how do we better meet what's inside here so that we are more available in the world. So my small group uh, met on Sunday and <laughs> the other lovely women in it looked at me and said, Lindsay, how long have we been meeting now? And I thought, oh, maybe this is actually about a year <laughs> and, and and we haven't had any kind of, of, of closure to the program of bringing it, you know, so what, what, what are the fruits that grew out of this program for us and what are the next steps? So I really appreciated that reminder and kind of considering the fruits just for myself of this year, this story that, that Koshin shared recently just immediately came to mind as a powerful fruit of this work uh, that we've been doing. And so I offer this as opportunity to kind of hopefully get anyone who's interested, um, available to think, how do we at Charlotte Center for Mindfulness then take a next step in in what way can we we better understand what's going on in terms of um, the racial issues that we carry in such a way that we can be of good um, to ourselves, to each other, to the world. So I put that out there. The story. So uh, a little background that you need to know first. Uh, this is a story, a Zen story uh, in a, in, from a famous Zen monastery long ago. And one of the most senior positions in a Zen monastery apparently is the cook, the head monastery cook. And the reason is that uh, it's considered to have a mind that is available to care for food is considered very advanced practice. And when it was said that way, I was like, Ooh, yeah, that actually makes huge sense. So in this, this large monastery, there was a head cook who was obviously one of the most senior monks in the, in the monastery. And one day he was running late and in his rush to get the, the midday meal out, he realized he had actually forgotten to make a soup. And Zen meals are highly formalized with exact courses and whatnot. So he needed a soup and he needed it 
fast. So he grabbed the scythe and ran out to the garden, cut a bunch of greens, threw them into a pot, made a very simple soup as quickly as he could, just in time to for the soup to be carried out to the other monks. So the abbot had a bowl of the soup, put a spoon in the soup, and um, brought it up, his first bite of the soup, to eat it. And in his spoon was a snake head. And, sorry, this is a little gruesome story, sorry. Uh, I saw some of those expressions. Uh, and, and you have to understand, in this kind of monastery, the meal was supposed to be vegetarian. So not only was there this powerful precept to not kill, you're not supposed to eat meat either, um, so the abbot, looking at the snake head in a spoon, you know, calls the head monk, head cook over. The head cook comes. He looks down at the spoon, sees the snake head. He bows. He picks up the snake head, pops it in his mouth, crunches it up and swallows and bows. And the abbot bows to him and he walks away. I love how Koshin describes that story. What he said is, this is a story of radical responsibility. Realizing that he had killed, he just reached out, he took the snake head with a sort of, yes, I did that and I will eat it. I will take responsibility for what I did. Lesson learned, greater attention moving forward. What Koshin said at the end of it was, how many of us would be that brave? And of course, you know, Koshin's a great storyteller. So the way he described the story, like pop the the snake head into the mouth and crunch, 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 crunch. I mean, it was like very graphic about, about this move um, in it. And it's like, how many of us would be brave enough to do that? And I feel like a lot of us are. A lot of ways we all struggle with not being brave enough in many parts of our life. But anytime we're willing to fully embrace the mistakes, the errors that we do in our life, we are showing that kind of bravery. Anytime we are willing to step past that ego self view that really struggles to admit a wrongdoing, like I can't be the one who could have possibly have done that, that struggles with this and instead step into a compassionate, courageous heart that can look squarely at our lives without giving up on ourselves and say, yes, I did that. I will eat it. I will take responsibility for it. I will learn from it. And I will move forward in my life. Learning to do that 
how we can hold our mistakes well, no matter what they are. You know, if we're human, we're going to be doing them. That's a source of remarkable freedom. And what's interesting is to start to understand how it's not just a freedom from ourselves, but it's actually deeply related to how we bring a compassionate and wise action, make a compassionate, wise action within ourselves available in the world. So I'll talk a little bit more about that, but just, just to name that turned on its head in this way, it really helps to be on the lookout for the snake heads that we have by accident. Sometimes, you know, whatever the story is, um, um, take responsibility for the snake heads that we've inevitably put in the soup of our own lives, wherever that might be. So to link this to the Mindful of Race program, um, for me, they are utterly, utterly related. Um, very several layers. This story just feels so relevant to, to the kind of racial work that um, I have been so grateful um, for for the ones who have come before me and have opened a powerful path of of love and understanding um, um, and made that available for for my work. So looking at this story in terms of racial transgressions that we can make, particularly if you're like me and you come from white and privilege, uh, they can be jarring, really painful, worse as finding a snakehead in what was meant to be a safe, healthy, nourishing soup. So the question is not so much, will we make mistakes? Because we will. I mean, like notice in this story, this was the head cook of a very important monastery, one of the most senior positions. And still he, you know, even him is still making mistakes in his life. So the question is not, will we make mistakes? Yes, we will. The real question is, what kind of practice are we doing that helps us not make these mistakes? And then what kind of practice are we doing that when we do make the mistakes, we use the mistakes to keep learning how to transgress less, how to bring more healing forward. I don't know how many of y'all know the implicit bias test that's available on the website. I tried very hard to get the email out before our conversation tonight. Just didn't pull it off. But it will, I'll still send it, and it has the link to this implicit bias test you can take from Harvard. And it's a wondrous test that has um, multiple categories, not just racial categories, but gender, age, um, sexuality, um, all sorts of things um, to kind of get an idea of what I think on the surface doesn't necessarily reflect 
what's happening to me, what's happening within me underneath. We need to know that information about ourselves. We need to know that we are far more complicated beings, far more culturally, socially, family affected um, than systematically affected than our, our thoughts in our heads may ever want to admit that we are. So if you don't know that implicit um, bias test, um, I would urge you to, to either look at the link in the email or just look it up, Harvard Implicit Bias. It comes right up. Um, and it's very, very helpful for kind of understanding, wow, I am, I am related to everyone that goes around, around me. I'll just share from my own self, the first time I took the test, which was a number of years ago, ooh, it was about as drawing as finding a snakehead in my own soup. Um, um, a snakehead that I had been unconsciously complicit in putting there. I retook it this week. I hadn't, hadn't come back to it in, in a number of years. And I'm really, really, really glad to report Change is possible. We can't, you know, bringing consciousness to what goes on, um, what is going on under the surface, we can start to impact um, what goes on under the surface. And I so appreciate that. So that's my first thought on the story. The second note I really want to highlight is how the abbot responded. The abbot acknowledged the error very simply, without shaming, without berating, without heaping abuse on the cult. He pointed to the mistake. He didn't let the mistake go. He didn't try to cover it up or pretend it wasn't there. He pointed it out. This was, this was real. This was, this was here. But he did it in a way that he pointed to the mistake instead of pointing to the cook as a mistake. That's a big difference. There's this powerful difference between the difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is about, I made a mistake. Shame is, or actually I'm going to put this into the other first. Guilt is about you made a mistake, thinking about the abbots of the cook. Shame is about you are a mistake. It's helpful to notice where we carry attitudes about others that are essentially writing them off as a mistake, that they are bad in their essence in a way that others them to us and puts barricades and blockades between us and being willing to open, to explore connection uh, between them. So the abbot, I really, the way the abbot pointed out a very real mistake, he did it in a way that offered a path of healing forward. And then, as Koshin said, you know, the, the, the cook took this radical responsibility, step of radical responsibility, and eat, ate the head as if to say, yep, I did do that. 
I will lead it. I will take responsibility for it. When we can not just look at others in terms of that lens of shame and guilt, but look at our own selves, you know, whatever the mistake is, doesn't have to be on, on this issue, any, any issue that we're carrying. Um, if we can look at our mistakes at, through this lens of healthy, right, appropriate guilt, nothing wrong with that emotion is actually very instructive versus toxic shame that I'm taking myself out, then I have the the possibility of growing. So if I can look squarely at a mistake um, and see underneath painful condition biases that need me to digest this material and be much clearer in in my thoughts and actions, that is a way of of acknowledging and using the the healthy, appropriate, right guilt that offers learning as opposed to the shame that takes me out. So we all likely shame ourselves at some point or another in our lives. And I'll just tell you from my own experience what I know about when I shame myself. It shuts me down. It is this well of self-abuse that, that like, like dives me under in a way that makes me unavailable uh, to engaging in learning and certainly unavailable to making true amends. Uh, shame can be so toxic that it can even make simple apologies out of reach because to apologize means to accept that I did mess up that badly and to accept that I did mess up that badly if I'm, if I'm shaming myself means I am toxically wrong, bad at my essence in a way that's dangerous to go there. You know, I mean, just think about all of the conniptions that people go through to try not to give a true apology and take ownership and responsibility it's, be, I, you know, the, the idea of the shame can be too much um, to, to manage. So brave, compassionate acceptance of right guilt, on the other hand, can be profoundly freeing. And brave is an important word. It takes real courage to turn around and look at our mistakes openly, honestly, without sliding either into shame or without sliding into justifications, but to just own it. And I love that reminder that the word courage comes from the French word for heart, core. It takes a powerful, compassionate heart to make us available for learning in the midst of our mistakes without shaming ourselves down. So just want to share an example for me. Um, seeking ways to, this sounds so gross to say this sentence, but true, seeking ways to learn to eat my own snakeheads uh, and doing so, noticing how that makes me available in a way that if I don't, I'm just not. So I had a painful conversation um, with someone that I really care a lot about um, not so long ago. 
And very not surprisingly, knowing this person, uh, he started saying things that came across to me as blatantly racist, even though he clearly didn't see them that way. Even before I could come up with a response, you know, like even before I could open my mouth to say something about it, he knows me well. Uh, he said to me something like, I know what you think, and I know you think that that was racist because so-and-so already called me out on it. Um, um, so you don't have to say anything to me. Having eaten a lot of accidentally cut off snake heads in my life, I know, and knowing that there are more to come, it was really easy in that moment to own my guilt in a way that totally changed our conversation. And what came out of my mouth in that next moment was just something like, yeah, this is really hard stuff. I've had to look at racism in me too. It's so hard and painful to start to see what we're carrying that we sometimes don't even get that's there. That aligning with him instead of othering him in shame, that totally changed our conversation. And believe me, this isn't the first conversation he and I have had. When I was able to align with him, because I know what it's like to work with these very hard issues in me, then I was able to listen far more deeply with him, share more with him, feel more heard than he and I had ever been able to progress in a conversation before. That, that really changed um, what happened out of that for me. And it started with me owning, absolutely owning my own snakeheads that needed, needed digesting and, and, and processing. So I'm going to finish with a little bit from Koshin, um, uh, a motto that he shared about a particular style of hardcore Aikido training. And in this hardcore Aikido training, he says, um, the motto is, you cannot be free until you're not afraid to fall. So the work in Aikido is learning how to fall with being able to get back up. And try again. This is the work of our mindfulness, learning to fall, not to be afraid of falling, and being able to get back up and try again. So what's the next step for you? Maybe it is take that test. Maybe it is some other piece of work around, um, needed for you around untangling very painful racial stuff we all carry or something else that really needs attention. Can you be okay with falling, prepared to learn from every step of the fall and every step of the getting back up and then trying again? So let's, let's pause for a moment. What do you know about your usual habit in relating to painful mistakes, 
What do you know about the difference between guilt and shame? What allows you the strength to stand in a right, healthy guilt without sliding into shame or justification? And let it all be in the path of learning. Thank you.